Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to go today to Luke chapter 10. And if you have the Bible app, you can actually uh, find the event and you can find our, uh, our, our message today right there. And you can add any of your notes in on that. Of course, uh, the scriptures will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Uh, we want to help people in your relationship with God. Well, I'm teaching a, a sermon series right now called It's Like This. And the reason is, is because... When, when Jesus wanted to explain what the kingdom of heaven was like, he told stories. He, these stories were called parables, and these parables were, he, he told these stories so that there was a, 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 a spiritual truth to be embraced, a, a moral that, that, that could hold sway over a person's life, something that we needed to, to hear in order to grow and operate with God. Now, uh, these parables were, were taught, and what they did is they, they distinguished between the disciple and the religious. There's a lot of religious people, people who go through religious motions. But uh, people who are just simply religious don't bring change to the world. The disciples bring change to the world. Those who say, I'm not only going to say I go to church. No, I want to say I am the church, which is the body of Christ. And I want to have a tremendous impact with, with, uh, with the brief time that I have on this planet. And so we find out in Luke chapter 8 that Jesus said of the parables in, in verse 10, he says, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to others, it's given in parables, these stories. So seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And so what we need to understand about the stories is that very simply, there, there is a, a telling of the story when Jesus tells the story and the religious just walk away. They think, oh, the story's enough. But the disciple presses in and says, Jesus, I want the deeper meaning. I want to know the mystery about the kingdom of God, that God's kingdom is here and moving and growing. And you and I are seeing it. You look around and you see many new faces and many people who have recently made decisions for Christ. And perhaps some of you in the last year or, or maybe six months, God has radically changed your life by his grace and love. What you are experiencing is the kingdom of God. You're experiencing the kingdom. And this is the, the kingdom should be full of life. It should be full of growth. It should find fertile soil hearts, as we heard last week. And it should find room to grow. But there was a moment where Jesus taught a parable. And, and at first glance at this parable that we're going to look at today, you would think, oh, well, I understand that. But the, the key about parables is that there's a deeper mystery behind the stories, even behind the ones you think you understand. Now, today we're going to talk about the love of the kingdom. It's like this, the love of the kingdom. And we're going to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. And most of us probably have heard this story, which is really appropriate in a time like, like we're facing right now. You know, my wife and Nicole Howard, Dylan Jewell, Trevor Payne, in their various ways right now are on the front lines 
My wife and Nicole at the state headquarters of disaster relief in Orlando, uh, sending out teams of which there were 700 plus rescues done uh, this weekend, and the rescues still are continuing even today. I just got the report. That and, and so they're they're finding people, rescuing people, and this is they're on the front lines of going to find those who are hurting and in need. And you need to know about our church is that we're going to be on the front lines of making a real difference as well through Convoy of Hope and through your regular giving. We've, I've had some people reach out to me and say, I'd like to give. How are we going to support? I've already been in contact with Convoy of Hope, which is set up at Fort, uh, Fort Myers Assemblies of God. And they are, they're already there and they're already helping them, but they have a dire financial need. They have brought $2.2 million worth of relief supplies to that area. But listen, the, the need is much larger than that. So I, I said, you know what, here's what we're going to do as a church. We're going to send a whole tractor load of water down there. And, and, and as soon as I purposed it in my heart, I started getting calls about how can I give, how can I do this. I didn't announce that to anybody. God announced it and started getting calls. Now listen, we as a church want to support those who are on the front line and working with uh, you know, the, the government who is, who is being really, uh, really telling people, don't come, but help us help the people who are there. Because if you're flooded with people, there's not enough resources to support the relief effort, which, set, which, which we are going to send people, by the way. In the coming days, we're going to partner with a ministry called Eight Days of Hope. And we're going to sign up as a team to be able to go down. And this is totally free. If you would like to be a good Samaritan to our state and take a few days and go with a team from here, you're going to be hearing more information as, as they gather. They have not opened this up because the government is saying, please, let us rescue all that we can rescue. And then this relief effort, they're expecting it to extend in some areas all the way to the end of the year. So... Uh, I just, I just want you to know that we are going to be actively involved, and if you want to live out the truths that we're studying today, the love of the kingdom, you're going to have an opportunity to do that with the people of, of our state. Now, today I want us to read something that I think we're all going to plainly understand on the surface, but I think there was a mystery that Jesus was revealing in this story that many of us already know of the Good Samaritan. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, says this. On, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now listen carefully to the parable. In reply, Jesus said, 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, he, he saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and he went to him. Listen to these words. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, at first glance, it seems as if all the questions were answered. Who is the neighbor? But remember, what was the motivation of this expert in the law? He wanted to what? Justify himself. You see, religious people are always trying to what? Justify themselves. They're just kind of saying, hey, uh, well, if I do a little more good than bad, then I'll be okay. You know what? Or, or maybe uh, I can excuse my neglect of certain people or ignoring certain people. And I, I just want to justify what I'm doing. And the danger is for anybody is to try to justify what they're doing or what they're not doing. So Jesus tells this story. And I want to give you a little bit of a backdrop. We hear this story and we're not influenced by the popular opinions of that day of Jewish culture. So I want to just share a couple of things with you. First of all, there's a man who's leaving Jerusalem, going to Jericho. And now, now for us, we're like, whatever. They're going from Inverness to Crystal River. That's just part of the story. No, not in this story. No, this man was leaving Jerusalem, the promised place that within Jewish culture, still even to today, some rabbis teach that the center point of all creation is Jerusalem. They say, this is God's point of origin. That's why this place is actually named the city of peace. So... This man leaves the city of peace, and where does he go? Jericho. Now, you know that name, right? You can go back to the Old Testament, and you, you, maybe you heard some of those songs from Children's Church. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. <laughs> some know it well. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. 
Well, Jericho, you, you know, and maybe you've been in Pentecostal services, man, when, when church gets wild and the Hammond B3 organ starts going, and man, the, the people of God, you know, start standing up, and then they started, come on, let's do a Jericho march. We want to see walls fall down. Well, that's connected to the story of walking around in silence for six days, seventh day, si- yeah, seventh day, they walk around seven times, let out a shout, and the walls of Jericho come down. Jericho was the first city taken in the, in the giving of the promised land. But God said this, Jericho was supposed to never be rebuilt. He said, on the day it was taken, he says this, cursed is the man who lays its foundation again and raises its gates. On the day the foundation is laid, it'll cost you your firstborn. On the date the gate gate is hung, it'll cost you your second. That's exactly what happened. That curse was pronounced over Jericho. And the one in charge of rebuilding Jericho experienced the full brunt of that curse. So this man in the story is leaving a city of peace to enter a city that's cursed. I don't know if you can see any of the the strange similarities to the story of the garden. That in the garden there was perfection. In the garden there was everything that both Adam and Eve could ever need. And yet, because of sin, they what? They left the place of peace and entered into a place of curse because of sin. And here's what happened. They were stripped of the righteousness. They were stripped even in what I believe is that was the glory of God that was cover, covering them. In, in, in Genesis, we find that in the moment that curse came, they were naked, much like this story. There's a reason why I'm pointing this out because there is a deeper truth. I believe this good Samaritan, by the way, you should know this, when when this expert in the law would have heard Jesus say, the priest passed by, the Levite passed by, but a Samaritan becomes a hero, the Jew would have crossed his arms. You say, the, the, the half-breed Samaritans? They dislike the Samaritans. They, they saw the Samaritans as, as trying to pervert true worship of God. They, they said, the Samaritans, they, they try to worship God even in the wrong place. And yet Jesus tells a story of an unwanted hero about a man who was stripped by robbers. I believe the good Samaritan, the reason why he tells him this whole story is because Jesus wanted to tell his story. Jesus was about to tell his story. Now, there are seven things, seven things, and I'm going to go fast here, seven things that the, the good Samaritan does that we need to learn from. Because 
Everything that you and I are called to do in the kingdom, I believe Jesus has modeled for us already in the Gospels. He's already showed it to us. And now he's teaching us the mystery. The mystery is the deeper. The, the, the plain level, help your neighbors in need. The deeper truth is that Jesus is going deeper and farther than we could ever go on our own. Look at this. Look at the first thing that the Good Samaritan does and how he displays the love of the kingdom. The first, the Good Samaritan went to him. He didn't send someone else to do his work. And so it is with Christ. Christ comes to us. The Son of God comes to us. Anybody in their experience in, in the church, have you ever heard it this way? Well, I came to Christ. Okay, there's some truth to that. I, I understand what you mean by that, but the truth be told is you didn't come to Christ. Christ came to you. Christ came looking for you when you were in sin, when you were in bondage, when you were in confusion, when you were on your way to an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Christ came. And this is what he did in the grand scale because Jesus wasn't born 2,000 years ago. He was incarnated. He took on flesh 2,000 years ago. But he was in the beginning, in the absolute beginning in John 1. And he always was. And when we're learning about relationships and this love of the kingdom, Philippians 2 came to mind about Christ coming to us. Philippians 2.5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Other versions would say it this way. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That means this. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and held on to. But he let it go. Rather, verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So what you and I can discern from this very beginning where he says the good Samaritan went to him, we need to begin to see that Christ is, dis, is, is saying, listen, I'm the unwanted hero that is coming to Israel. I'm the unwanted hero who is coming to you. You don't come, you don't desire this kind of work right now. All of Israel, they wanted a mighty military deliverer. They wanted a, a deliverer to come to, to push back the Romans. They wanted to, to rule and reign in their own land. They thought Messiah will come and do this. So he was what? He was the Samaritan of sorts. The unwanted kind of hero. The one who would come in the form of a servant. Now he will come as a conquering king. But he first came to us to serve us. In our brokenness. 
The second thing you find about this deeper truth is that the good Samaritan bound up his wounds. I love this. This is exactly what Christ does when he finds us in, his, his, his bro, in our brokenness. It says, he heals by his stripes. That's why we celebrated communion today. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Here's what you need to understand about this is that when he comes to bind up our wounds, this is so good. This is how he does it. He was wounded for our transgressions. Have you ever seen someone sin? Come on, stop thinking about your neighbor, right? I know you're thinking about them. Just look at them and tell them, I saw what you did. I saw what you did. You know what you did was wrong, okay? There is all kinds of sin that people can see. A transgression is sin people can see. And this says he was wounded. When you're wounded, you bleed on the outside. I love this. He bled for the sins people can see. But you got to keep reading. Because then it says he was bruised for our iniquity. A bruise is bleeding on the inside. Oh, you come to church long enough, you have good parents who carry leather straps and spoons in the car. I mean, you know how to straighten up when you get in the, in the right environment, don't you? You know how to get it together, right? I mean, y'all were shouting in the car right before you came in here, but you look, see, you're smiling, you're, you're acting like you got it all together now. You see, this is what we do as human beings. We may get a little bit of victory over what people can see, but sometimes there's this inward twisted bent to do the wrong thing going on on the inside. And sometimes the broken twisted places, which is what the word iniquity means, it means bent or perverse or twisted. It means to have a way in us that is twisted, that wants to lead us away from God. Listen, when he comes and finds us wounded and broken, it's not only for the sins people see and know and can chat about and talk about. He says, I am bleeding for you on the inside to come and heal that broken, twisted way that is consistently carrying you away from my will, carrying you into the hands of the enemy. He says, I'm bleeding on the inside. It says the, the chastisement for our peace. That means the payment for our peace. He paid it. And by his stripes, we're healed. We find that he is one who binds up the wounds. And if you're here today and you say, man, I've got a major sin issue. I've got good news. There is a hero who comes in goodness to bind up our wounds. And he does it by providing us exactly what we need through the cross. What we find next is that, that not only does he, does he bind up our wounds, but he saves by his grace. 
this one who was on the side of the road, he couldn't help himself. He was left for dead, half dead. Do you know that that was our condition in Christ when he, when he came to bind up our wounds? Ephesians 2 tells us that. It says that, that even when we were dead, it says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. This is the work Christ does. It's not us coming to him. It's him coming to us and binding up the wounds caused by sin and Satan. Then the good Samaritan, what did he do? He poured on oil and wine. He poured on oil. Now, there are, in that time, there were medicinal benefits from pouring on oil and wine. But remember, this is, a, this is something, a story that tells a deeper truth. And what is he saying? There is an oil and there is a wine that comes from the hand of the rescuer. One who comes to bring relief. That one is Jesus and he is pouring out oil and wine. And what does that represent? It represents his spirit and his joy, his spirit and his joy. And he gives us the oil of his spirit. Second Corinthians 121 says, now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us. That's speaking of the oil. The one who has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He's saying he has anointed us with this oil of the Spirit. So when he comes as one who comes to us, one who binds up our wounds because of sin, he then comes with the oil of his Spirit to give us that Spirit. And here's why he gives us that Spirit according to this verse. It says, as our guarantee. The best way that you can understand this is that when you are born again, you are immediately put on layaway. Come on, we don't do layaway anymore. <laughs> Ain't no layaway. Way too many charge cards, not enough layaway. Layaway was for people who didn't have a charge card but could put down some money, and as they accumulated the cash, they would then go back and pay for it in full. Now we just swipe. This is saying, listen, I'm putting the deposit down. The oil that's on your life, the, my presence, my spirit, it's the deposit. And here's what it is, the guarantee that I'm coming back and you will come into fullness of relationship with me. I'm coming back to redeem you fully. Yes, you are saved, but oh, there's another level to this salvation when I return. That's what it says. He gives us that oil, but then he's not only giving us the oil of his spirit, he gives us what? The wine. It's symbolic of something. It's the joy of relationship with him. Now, anytime in our walk with God, there, there's always a counterfeit. Matter of fact, you don't have to look very far in culture to, to find that everything around us, almost every commercial, is just about trying to make you happy. Oh, you'll be happy if you drive this car. You'll be happy if you have this house. Ask those who have the house on Fort Myers Beach, like my sister's boss who only has four poles left 
on his property if the house makes him happy? Or is it embracing his daughter and son-in-law and, grand, and, and, and grandson? Is it embrace? There is something deeper. The, the things of this world cannot make happy. And matter of fact, Satan is always trying to give us substitutes for the real joy. Ephesians 5.18 says it. There is a substitute. He says, and do not get drunk on wine. Remember, that's what he's referring to. He said, don't get drunk on wine. But which leads to debauchery, all kinds of sin, all kinds of mistakes, but be filled with God's Spirit. He's saying, listen, that wine is the counterfeit. The wine of this world is the counterfeit. The wine of God's Spirit is what you were made for. The joy of having God's presence in your life, that's the wine that Jesus comes to pour in. And you've, you heard it in our, our, final, our, our series before, Holy Fire, that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He gives us the wine of his presence, which leads to joy. The fourth thing that the Good Samaritan does is he sets him on his donkey. We're just walking right through it. He sets him on his donkey. Now, usually it's talked about on Palm Sunday that Jesus comes in his triumphant entry announcing that he is Messiah into Jerusalem. What is he riding on? A donkey, the foal of a donkey. And this was the pronouncement that he was a king. But not just any kind of king. He is a humble king. And notice what the good Samaritan does. He takes the broken one, the one left for dead, and puts him in his place. The place that belongs to him. Oh, come on. There is a deeper truth that's being revealed. Maybe you don't know where you're seated. No, 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 not, 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 the, not the fourth row, fifth seat in. No, 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 not that today. Not in the chair that creaks, and you're so sad that you're in the creaking chair this week because you wiggle a lot, you know. No. That's, see, you're doing that on purpose. Some of you are creaking. Um, no, no, no. I'm not talking about these chairs. Did you know you've been seated in the place prepared for Christ? Ephesians 2 says this, and he what? Raised us up together in heavenly places. He made us sit together with him in heavenly places. He took us in our brokenness, bound, bound us. He healed us in our sin. He pours in oil and wine. He then, then what? He begins to lift us up and he sits us in the place that belongs to him. Now, why does he do that? So that in the ages to come, he could display his righteousness, exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ. I want you to know this today. You're not meant to just exist in this life. 
when Christ has given you the seat that belongs to him. We're meant to walk in the authority of Christ, sharing the love of Christ, expanding the kingdom of Christ. The fifth thing is this, is that the good Samaritan brought him to the inn. And so when you and I come in to relationship with God through Christ, he brings us into a place of safety. Well, how many of you know that, that just a, a few short days ago, there were those who did what Floridians always do, ignore hurricane warnings. That's what we do. We're like, here it comes, cat, cat one. We're like, cat one? That's just rain with a name. That's all that is, rain with a name. Cat two, cat three, oh, hurricane party, we're going to get a couple days off. Cat four, cat five, Floridians, we then go, hmm, I got time. And then we realize that all of you northerners have moved here and all of you people from everywhere else who have dealt with every other disaster have gobbled up all of the gas and we can't get anywhere. <laughs> Guess we're staying and praying. You know, uh, the only way to enter into safety when imminent danger is coming is to act on what is being said. And this is what Jesus said, speaking of the place of safety that he wants us to enter into. In Matthew chapter 7, this is what he said. Those who hear these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. What's the key of entering into the inn and the safety? It is to say, I'm not only going to hear what Christ is saying, I'm going to live it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to build my life on what Christ has said. Now, by the way... Those who hear the sayings and don't do them, you're building your life on sand. Take a few moments to look at the devastation that's happened here in our state. And what you will see or get a glimpse into is the spiritual landscape of those who hear what Christ has said, but don't do it. That's what he says. He brings us into safety. I love what the next thing it says, and the good Samaritan took care of him. Took care of him. And Jesus cares for you. When you're born again, when you're in the family of God, you're in his mighty grip. John 10, 28 says, and this is what Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. You are under the care of God and listen, nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Amen to that. But listen, don't walk out of his hand. 
It doesn't say you can't walk away. It just says there is not a devil, not a force, not a government that can snatch you from my hand. No one. Why? Because I care for you. I care for you. And he says, you're in my mighty grip. And he goes, and I really do care for you. And I, I, could, I could have probably spent all week on this one verse, especially given the environment of what, what we just were protected from in this part of the state and what our brothers and sisters to our south experienced. But that in 1 Peter 5, 7, we're taught what to do with our cares. It says this. We cast all our care upon him because he cares for you. I think sometimes in life, what we do is we swaddle our cares. We carry our cares. Oh, let me tell you what's going on. I need just the right picture that will produce just the right amount of likes so somebody will know that I have cares. We're nursing our problems. We're, we're, we're holding on to them. And this is my issue. Why can't people see my issue? And my issue's getting bigger, almost too big for me to handle emotionally. And I'm hitting, why doesn't anybody care? Listen, the more we live this way, nursing our cares, the more we will enter into mental disillusionment. We will enter into this, this place of stress and anxiety that God never attended. There is one thing that you and I are to do with our cares. Listen to me. Not lay them down. Oh, let, me, let me take care of my care. No, no, no. The word here is cast it down. Cast your cares. I'm here to tell you that in a world that is falling apart and in a world that it seems to be being pulled apart at the very fabric of everything that makes for a society that succeeds, in that moment, there will be an opportunity to worry. Don't take that opportunity. When you have a care, when you have something pressing against you, cast it at the feet of the one who cares for you. Cast it down in prayer. Cast it down in faith, believing that if I cast it down, he'll take it up. So he took care of him. And then finally we see the good Samaritan supplied for him. He leaves two denarii behind. More than enough wages. More than enough payment to see him nurse back to health. More than enough. Some would say that's a couple of months. Now, I think the powerful words in knowing that he said, I'm giving you what you need, are followed by what he says next. When I return. 
When I return, remember, this story is revealing a deeper truth. It's a deeper mystery about the kingdom of God. Listen, you and I need to hear these words. I am coming back. And listen, in your brokenness, in your healing, in the time when you have been on this planet, I have left more than enough for you. Oh, man, we need to hear 2 Peter chapter 1, which says... The, the, the grace and peace of God is multiplied to us in the knowledge of God and of our Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. You need to hear this today. Hear it from your pastor. Hear it from one who wants to stand side by side with you in this community when trouble comes. We have everything we need to succeed in the last hour when we have Jesus, when we have his spirit. He says, I'm leaving you more than enough. I am supplying for you. I'm taking care of you. And when I return, oh, I love this. Innkeepers in here. And when I return, if it's cost you anything extra, I'll reward you. That's what he says. Come on, there's a deeper truth here, people. Come on, if you think if I live this way, it's going to cost me something. Jesus is saying, when I return, there will be a reward showed to you for the care you show to those who are broken and in need of the king to come to their house. God is saying, listen, there's a reward coming. And he even says it this way, my reward is coming with me. Jesus is coming back. But we only enter into everything we need for last hour living through knowing this undesired hero who shows us the love of the kingdom, models it for us so we could follow the instruction given to the expert in the law. Go and do likewise.